Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosity, the one true podcast, and the only podcast that is the bread of life. The truth, the way, and the life. The resurrection and the life, and pretty much everything else in the life. So eat me. Eat, yeah, that's our motto. <laughs> that's our new motto. Eat me. John six fifty seven. whoever eats me will live because of me. Oh, I like it. No one can get to uh, eternal life without eating me. That's, I remember when Jesus said that. He's, people were like, hey, Jesus, how do I get to heaven? And, they were, and Jesus was like, eat me. He just pointed to his dick. <laughs> Suck on this, bitches. Why do you think I named you Peter? <laughs> uh, oh, because oh, it means penis. It's like, uh, oh, I thought you were talking about something else. <laughs> that was a Brady Brunch reference or something. <laughs> yeah, I was referencing the Brady Bunch. What's this episode about, anyway? Uh, well, Matt, I would like to, uh, before we go into the meat of the podcast, read an iTunes review for you. Oh, shit. Hell yeah. Could do without the Bible study classes. Four stars by Avedon S. Matt's snappy dialogue provides marginal contrast to Chuck's barely entertaining Bible banner and keeps the listeners awake for the duration of this mildly iffy podcast. I, I like this review. But I'm just curious as to uh, what it means. Is it, is it have some sort of... Uh... It means, Matt, we should never do another Bible study class on your religiosity again. Oh, okay. And on to John, the meat of the podcast. Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> Which Matt has prepared for amazingly. I am going to be uncharacteristically silent this episode and let Chuck take the reins. <laughs> He's done so much hard work on it. I think I should let him speak. I mean, I, I have tons of notes. Oh, I've got I've got notes, Chuck. I've got, I've got show prep on one side of me and the other side. I've got some green tea, actually. Yeah, they're my and, notes, uh, you fucker. <laughs> uh, let's do skunk dicks first. Yeah. There's a lot of skunk dicks. It was hard to narrow these down. I know. There is another week, or how long have we been off for now? Two weeks? Three weeks? A couple weeks? Something like that. Yeah, dicks pile up when you when you do a bi-weekly podcast, or is it bi-monthly? Yeah, we may have to uh, we may have to do an entire episode on skunk dicks. Didn't we already do that, though? We did uh, skunk dicks of the year, the skunkies. Oh, yeah. All right. Never mind, then. First <laughs> skunk dick. Uh, Mormon Church pushes back on planet misconceptions. You see, Matt, uh, it turns out that this... Uh, idea that we have that Mormons believe that if they get exalted, they're righteous, becoming exalted, become their own god, and they get their own planet. It's just a cartoonish misconception. Really? I've been cartooning this whole time. So it's it's hilarious because the Mormon church now has been, um, I don't know what's the, uh, who's behind all this, but the church is starting this series of, <laughs> like, cleaning house on their scholarly article. Right. And it's so like... They, they pop like one new one up every week or two. They're they're it's like revisionist history. They're they're forming yeah. their future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're they're looking forward. Uh, so we have this article that says uh, the Mormon Church is pushing back against the notion that members of the faith are taught that they'll get their own planet in the afterlife. A misconception popularized in pop culture most recently by the Broadway show The Book of Mormon. Uh, because you know, Matt, the Mormon Church has never taught that uh, 
faithful Mormons who get uh, exalted and become gods get their own planet. Oh my God, what a cartoonish <laughs> misconception. Now, as somebody who uh, did not grow up Mormon and always thought that, am I wrong? No, it's, of course you're correct. Um, and it's funny because you read the actual article, and this is probably my uh, favorite part. It says, <clears throat> since human conceptions of reality are necessarily limited in mortality, religions struggle to adequately articulate their visions of eternal glory. So, you know, it's just, it's not the fact that they can't tell you exactly what's going on. It's the fact that, you know, human words and senses and perceptions are limited. Ah. We'll understand, of course, <laughs> like fucking everything else when we get to the afterlife. Um, these limitations make it easy for images of salvation to become cartoonish when represented in popular culture. For example, uh, scriptural expressions of the deep peace and overwhelming joy of salvation are often reproduced in the well-known image of humans sitting on their own clouds and playing harps after their death. Well, that's what I'm looking forward to. Latter-day Saints' doctrine of exaltation is often similarly reduced in media to a cartoonish image of people receiving their own planets. Well, when you take their uh, their scriptures and make cartoons out of them, it's hard not to be cartoonish. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it says, you know, just like the uh, cartoonish image of people sitting on, on clouds uh, has like a hint of truth, right? Most Christians yeah. would agree that inspired music can be a tiny foretaste of the joy of eternal salvation. Likewise, while few Latter-day Saints would identify with caricatures of having their own planet, few Latter-day... Every fucking Mormon I know expects they'll get their own planet when they die. That's the only reason I almost went Mormon. It sounds oh, great, doesn't I don't it? I, it does! <laughs> I'll take my own planet! Oh, it's going to be crazy. Most would agree that the awe inspired by creation hints at our creative potential in eternity. So so since that's so cartoonish, Matt, here's what Latter-day Saints actually believe. Latter-day Saints tend to imagine exaltation through the lens of the sacred in mortal experience. They see the seeds of godhood in the joy of bearing and nurturing children and the intense love they feel for those children, in the impulse to reach out in compassionate services to others, in the moments they are caught off guard by the beauty and order of the universe, in the grounding feeling of making and keeping divine covenants. Plus, they get their own planet. <laughs> <laughs> Just bullshit! Bullshit, do Mormons see that? <laughs> you know, maybe their ideas wouldn't look so cartoonish in cartoons if their ideas weren't so cartoonish. In reality? Yes. <laughs> Only because through the lens of mortality, Matt, it looks cartoonish. But uh, reality is, I don't know what reality is. They never say what the reality is. <laughs> but it's certainly not this cartoonish view. No. picking on us. Ah, uh, the poor... The poor persecuted Mormon church. Poor put upon Mormons. Well, that's a pretty strong dick, Chuck. <laughs> a pretty long and hard dick. What do you have? So here's... Okay, first I have something unprecedented, Chuck. Unprecedented. There, I'm sure there's some sort of precedent for this. There can possibly be, but are you ready for this? I'm retracting a skunk dick. Why? Why? Well... Uh, at some time last year, I nominated Michelle Bachman for a skunk dick because she decided she would not seek re-election and she was going to leave um, public service, right? Yes. And then I, w I was like, well, we're not going to have her to make fun of anymore. So skunk dick for that. I so that, that seemed like such a good idea at the time. And it did. It seemed like it. But uh, I'm retracting her and instead I will nominate Michelle Bachman. Wait, so with one hand, one hand taketh away... While the other hand giveth again? 
Yes, and that that is from Norse mythology, I believe. That is what Thor used to say. So, <laughs> so <laughs> what what is Michelle Bob now that she's out of politics? What should she possibly have done to raise your skunk dick radar? Well, Michelle Bachman has a message for everybody. Is everybody ready? All Michelle, All right. Michelle Bachman, she says, I'm sorry, Arizona governor vetoed the anti-gay bill. If <laughs> <laughs> you started after, if you stopped after the second word, I would have uh, accepted that apology from Oh, me. no, it was no apology. As we all know, there was a, uh, there was a, Controversial, dare I say it, Chuck? Controversial uh, bill in controversial Arizona. Controversial in the sense that it uh, wanted to enshrine discrimination against a certain particular subset of the population for religious reasons. It's That's okay right. to discriminate <laughs> if you're just religious. So this was a religious freedom bill. So now I'm kind of sorry, too, I guess. Oh, was, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and John Brewer vetoed it. Because it seems like everybody realized how terrible it was right. uh, after they voted for it. In between the passage <laughs> of the bill and the time that it got up to Jan Brewer's desk, Jan Brewer is also Republican and, uh, you know, crazy. It's crazy right-wing conservative as, as anyone else. But in between the time it passed and got to her desk, uh, you know, they threatened to take away the Super Bowl. Um, there were boycotts threatened. Apple threatened to take their Sapphire plan away. Uh, so, you know, when you hit them in the pocketbook, then they start thinking, mm, maybe this isn't such a good idea. Yes. Uh, so she vetoed it. She vetoed it probably for the wrong reasons. Right. Uh, you know, I doubt she vetoed it because she, she fundamentally disagreed with the absolute disrespect and, and violation of civil rights contained inside the bill. But she probably vetoed it because of the uh, financial harm it would have caused the state. Yeah. The Super Bowl. They might lose the Super Bowl. That's Holy why they shit. have Martin. Lu- that's why they celebrate Martin Luther King Day now. <laughs> they took away the. Oh, Super that's right. Way back when. Well, here's the doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. <laughs> way to go, everyone! I like that she said she uh, vetoed it. By the way, because it could have unintended and negative consequences. Quite right, which is financial, is what she's meaning. She doesn't <laughs> yeah. care about the intended consequences. Right. Somehow, some Muslims might have been protected with this bill. I don't know. I think that would have been unintended. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, she Bachman went on to say that there is a, quote, terrible intolerance afoot in the United States. My God, I agree with her. It's afoot. There is a terrible intolerance afoot in the United States. Oh. She's been right on two counts. She's Wait. sorry, and there's <laughs> terrible intolerance. She's Oh, maybe she's not a skunk dick. Wait, what is her? What is the total intolerance directed at? I'm oh, sorry, that is directed at people who have strongly held religious beliefs. Oh, oh, oh. the poor, the poor vast majority of the United <laughs> States suffering from a terrible intolerance uh, from the 25 percent. Horses Scott card was right all along. This it's is time <laughs> for an armed insurrection against this terrible intolerance. See now that we are winning. See how we are showing our intolerance. Yes. <laughs> We're forcing people to have equal rights oh. under threat of removal of the Super Bowl. That's right. I'll take your ball away. <laughs> I do that to my children when they misbehave. Give me that ball. You remove their testicles? I No. 
first of all, my children are all female with all the female apparatus. And second of all, that that that's sick. Good God, man, that's sick. I can't That's even what think I of said. It. I couldn't believe you surgically <laughs> removed your children's testicles when they I, were misbehaving. I can't even come up with a humorous comeback. Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> that is barbaric. Uh, next skunk dick, Pat Buchanan. He has not been in the uh, skunk dick uh, uh, recently. He hasn't been in the running. What? What has he been doing? He's been on vacation? He's been writing an article called How Freedom Dies. <laughs> How freedom dies. This strangely reminds me of Orson Scott Card's article on the same subject, right? What? How to kill President Obama? Wasn't that his article? That was his other article. So now Pat Buchanan is going from gay marriage. Usually it used to go from gay marriage to uh, bestiality. So now we're going gay marriage to bestiality to death of freedom. The death of freedom. This is how freedom dies, man. And I love this picture here. This is at townhall.com. There's a picture of how freedom dies, and it says, uh, in quotes, religious right cheers a bill allowing refusal to serve gays. And it's a picture of two men clasping their hands together, (laughs) flanked by three women women. holding their hands as well behind them. This has got to be... This has got to be the gay picture. This has got to be the gays, right? <laughs> no. Those are the religious right cheering the – they're allowing discrimination. discrimination of gays by holding hands with each other. Yay, discrimination. Two men, two men holding hands. Excellent. Oh. Well, what does he say? Is he for it? Is he for the death of freedom? Well, uh, this was before Brewer vetoed it. So he says – the question Governor Jan Brewer faces, should Christians, Muslims, Mormons who refuse on religious ground to serve same-sex couples? I love how narrowly this is, you know, defined. This is a religious yeah. freedom bill, but, uh, you know, it's specifically the religious freedom to discriminate against same-sex couples. That photographer, that florist, that beggar, for example, be treated as criminals? Or should Arizona leave them alone? Oh, gosh, I wonder which. Religious uh... freedom said Daniel Mock of the ACLU to the Times, is not a blank check to impose our faith on our neighbors. True, says Pat Buchanan, but who is imposing whose beliefs here? Oh, no, he's not playing that card, is he? The baker who says he's not making your wedding cake? Or those who want Arizona law to declare that either he provides that wedding cake and those flowers for that same-sex ceremony, or we see to it that he's arrested, prosecuted, and put out of business. <laughs> Do we really arrest people for not <laughs> making wedding cakes? <laughs> oh, you betcha. You betcha. <laughs> Where's my penis cake? Oh, my God. This this happened, uh, where was it, in uh, in Washington, outside Seattle or in Seattle? And nobody went there anymore after it came out. And then the guy whined. He's like, look at me. Look how they're imposing their values on me. Nobody comes here to get cakes anymore because I'm a bigot. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. This wasn't the deal. I've been free to be a bigot all my life without repercussion. Who changed that? Who pulled the rug out I, from underneath me? It's the free market. Free market will solve this, Chuck. We have seen the progression before. In 1954, the Supreme Court declared the segregation in public schools was wrong, and every black child must be allowed to attend his or her neighborhood school. By 1968, the court was demanding that white children be forcibly bussed across entire cities to ensure an arbitrary racial balance. Well, you <laughs> if you've segregated all the people into a neighborhood, then you're not going to... Uh, provide integration by just allowing them to go to their neighborhood school. That's that's not integration, Pat. Wait, is he bringing up this as an example of in, is he supporting himself with this or showing how 
It's, it's the wrong thing bad. to do is to forcibly bus white children. <laughs> you can't, you can't do that. Segregate. Under oh. the Civil Rights Acts of the 1960s, businesses were told that in hiring, promotion, pay, and benefits, black and white, men and women must be treated alike. Equality of opportunity. But soon, that was no longer enough. We needed equality of result. Corporations were ordered to maintain extensive records of the race, gender, ethnicity, and sexual preferences of their entire workforce to prove that they were not guilty of discrimination. <laughs> so he doesn't he doesn't like that. So. Yeah, this is a horrible burden upon these poor businesses. Why can't we discriminate? That'll hurt our bottom line. A radical idea from Pat Buchanan, Matt. Suppose we repealed the civil rights laws and fired all the bureaucrats enforcing these laws. Ooh, that'll save lots of Mondays, I bet. (laughs) (laughs) Does anyone think hotels, motels, and restaurants across Dixie, from D.C. to Texas, would stop serving black customers? I do. (laughs) Does anyone think there would again be signs sprouting up reading whites and colored on drinking foundations and restrooms? Drinking foundations? He wrote drinking foundations. What the hell's a drinking foundation? Damn autocorrect. (laughs) People, autocorrect is not enough. You need to also proofread it. Right. Um, (laughs) uh, Pat, that's not the point. (laughs) That isn't the point. The point is that if you repealed the civil rights laws and someone did that, there would be no means of enforcing it. There would be no repercussions. If you repeal the laws that prevent discrimination, then people who discriminate, no matter how rare they are, do so without repercussion. I don't understand why that's so hard for Pat Buchanan to grasp. In those instances Uh. where they do discriminate, you have no recourse whatsoever if you repeal the laws. I'm sad. This dick is not a sad dick. He, uh, I love this, and he goes, "Uh, the laws only exist to validate the slander that America is a racist, sexist, homophobic, and xenophobic country which would revert to massive discrimination were it not for heroic progressive standing guard. And he said he admits this. And indeed, some bigots might revert to type. But so what? So fucking what? So the fuck what? (laughs) Oh, Pat Buchanan. Yeah, so what? Fuck those people. What do I care if some gays can't get their penis cake? Listen. Not that that all gays want a penis cake. I don't want to make that case, Chuck. Let's just roll the clock back 60 years and say... Okay, go ahead and discriminate. So the fuck what? (laughs) So the fuck what? So some black people can't eat at your lunch counter. So what? It's just a few? Matt, Pat Buchanan wins the skunk dick, I'm going to say. That's my candidate. He wins. He wins it. I mean, so the LDS Church is guilty of, like, rewriting their history or trying to obfuscate their history so they're not made fun of. Uh, Pat Buchanan is racist and homophobic. To the extent that he wants all the civil rights laws repealed. You know, he, he sees that we're on the verge of getting civil rights for gays, and so what's his response to that? Fuck all civil rights! <laughs> Fuck them. Oh, my God. They can just, you know what? If they don't like each other, they can just avoid each other, right? It's a big state. Yeah, it's a big state with very uh, little water supply. The Most of the state is fucking desert, Pat. Have you ever been to Arizona? You can't live in the fucking desert. You need water. They're all concentrated together. So gays can just like uh, Native Americans. We'll just what we'll do is we'll bust gays out and put them on a reservation in the desert, in the middle of the fucking desert in Arizona. Problem oh, like, solved. Like they can have their own space. <laughs> How nice. Yeah. What's wrong with that? That's my oh. Pat Buchanan. What's your vote? Uh, it's Pat Buchanan. We don't. We're not even voting today. It has we just to be Pat it. Buchanan. 
Has to be. He wins it. He wins the internet, too. All right. We'll feed it in. Matt, you may be surprised to learn that it is not Pat Buchanan who won the Skunk Dick of the Week. How could it not be Pat Buchanan? How could it not be? He's Pat Buchanan. Pat How could anything Buchanan. be worse than rolling back civil rights 50 years, you might ask? I'm well, asking. let me tell you. For decades, students at Bob Jones University who sought counseling for sexual abuse were told not to report it because turning in an abuser from a fundamentalist Christian community would damage Jesus Christ. <laughs> That would damage Jesus? Yes. You don't want to damage the omnipotent ruler of the universe. Do not damage Jesus. Now, this this was the case until recently when this was exposed, and they got a lot of backlash. And so there's a lot of bad PR, because it's not the abuse of the victims that's the problem. It's the bad public relations that result from it. No. To solve the bad PR problem, they hired uh, a Christian consulting group in 2012 to investigate its handling of sexual assaults. So they've been investigating that for uh, over a year now. They've nearly come to the conclusion, and for some reason, they were fired, terminated. The group was terminated. I'm thinking if they hired a Christian consulting group, it was going to turn out in their favor. (laughs) How could it not? You don't want to damage the body of Jesus. But apparently, they were not happy with their conclusions. On Friday, Stephen Jones, president of the university and great-grandson of its founder, addressed students and employees, saying, We grew concerned that in the process, Grace had begun going beyond the originally outlined intentions. But he wouldn't elaborate on that. He said the university had not told Grace what its concerns were and wanted to discuss them with the consultant, but could do so only face-to-face, and so it felt compelled to fire the firm first. (laughs) (laughs) You can't bring them in for a discussion face-to-face. you got to fire them. (laughs) Well, you can't have them looking into, like, sexual assault and stuff. It's not what they're there for. They're there to make them look better. We terminated our agreement with Grace so that we could sit down and get it back on track. (laughs) You're doing it wrong. (laughs) Impossible to sit down with them while you're still hiring them. Impossible. Grace, by the way, stands for Godly Response to Abuse in the Christian Environment. (laughs) Uh, Well, they, you know, Bob Jones University did not want the godly response. I guess not. <laughs> they wanted their response. What did? The, what did? What were they hoping for? They were hoping to be completely exonerated. I guess. <laughs> How stupid are people? Uh, I mean, I don't know. you? You know what's going on. You're you cut. You're covering up, or you're ignoring it, or you're sweeping up the rug, and then you hire a group to do that for you, and they're like, "Hey, there's bad stuff going on. You're fired. You are fired. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you. God damn it. I didn't hire you for that. <laughs> right." Uh, so Grace is the skunk dick for not doing her job here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Catherine Harris, who attended the university in the 1980s, uh, is one of several people who said it was very hard for her to talk to Grace investigators about being abused. Now she feels betrayed that Grace has been sidelined. Nearly everyone at Bob Jones grew up in a fundamentalist environment, so if you were abused, your abuser probably came from inside that bubble too, which is what happened to me, she said. The person who supposedly canceled me told me if I reported a person like that to the police, I was damaging the cause of Christ, and I would be responsible for the abuser going to hell. What? Bullshit. What? Bullshit. He said, all of my problems were a result of my actions in the abuse, which mostly took place before I was 12, and I should just forgive the abuser. That was oh, yeah. fucking counseling. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're 12-year-olds. They're the problem. 
Uh, Erin Birchwell said that when she accused a university employee of sexually assaulting her in the late 1990s, so this was only like 15 years ago, their idea of an investigation and counseling was to ask me what I was wearing and whether it was tight and to tell me not to talk to anyone about it because it wouldn't look good for me. Yeah, this is becoming a recurring pattern with some other places as well. Patrick, what is that? Uh, Patrick Henry College? Is that the one I'm thinking of? The one that's... Yeah, uh, yeah. shocking, isn't it? Yeah. Randy Page, a university spokesman, said Tuesday that university officials had not yet met with people from Grace and that any disagreements would remain between them. He said he could not respond to the claims about how university handled abuse victims in the past, quote, because I wasn't there. <laughs> well, if you weren't there, you can't know. <laughs> how would you know? How could you possibly know? All you can find out is what they were wearing. <laughs> That leads us directly into our uh, footage from an upcoming television pilot, CSI Kentucky, starring Ken Ham. Oh, I can't wait for this. This week on CSI Kentucky. All right, boys, what have we got here? Well, uh, looks like a homicide detective got an anonymous tip phoned in, found the body in the back room. Let's have a look then. Here he is. The victim died from severe trauma to the spine. As you can see, he was stabbed directly in the middle of the back. Pretty much rules out self-inflicted. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Crikey! Who's the homicide detective bloke here? You or me? I'm just saying, clearly, it looks like a murder. Ah, uh, yes, but how do you know? Were you there? Did you observe the murder? There could be any sort of ways for this to have happened. Look, there just isn't any other way to get a knife stuck straight into the middle of your back. But you weren't there, so you can't know. You see, what people don't understand is that you can't know about these things unless you can observe them. You see, that's observational police work. What you're doing is merely historical police work. You can't rely on that. I mean, maybe this man was a contortionist and committed suicide. Uh, even a very flexible person couldn't apply enough pressure to drive a knife into their spinal column. Oh, crikey. Look, I'm the detective bloke here. I'm from Australia. We call men blokes and penises wibble wobbles. What you don't understand is that you just assume that he was murdered because it's physically impossible to kill yourself in this fashion, but you don't know because you weren't there. And you have to know so much to make a determination. You got to know about contortionists, knives, bone structure. You got to know about metals, alloys, and other things of that nature. What we need is an eyewitness. Detective, what the fuck are you talking about? You see, you assume he was murdered simply because there's no alternative explanation that makes sense and fits the evidence. But you can't just say that because you weren't there. So you can't know. Well, if I can't know, then what am I doing here? I don't deny there's a knife sticking out of his back. You see, you secularist cops and us creationist blokes have the same set of data. We just interpret it differently. As you know, we live in an amazing universe and we look around at all this stuff and it's amazing and wonderful and it fills me deep down. And we would say, yeah, that fits with observational police work. But the universe is so large. And you know how large it is? And the universe shows us how large it is. Wow. What an amazing thing. What a god. Look, asshole. It's obvious he was murdered. Really? Yes. Were you there? There's a fucking knife in his back. It has the name Maria inscribed on it. Look, I'm not denying any of that. But you have to remember, we weren't there. And all those police records are just historical documents, and you can't trust that because that's historical police work. And you can't rely on that because you weren't there. Well, maybe Ken Ham, the motherfucking observational police detective bloke asshole wibble-wobble would like to enlighten the rest of us dumb idiots. All right, then. Here's what must have happened according to the evidence we have and the Bible. 
look, there's a banana peel on the ground right over there. And we had a thunderstorm this afternoon. It's obvious what happened. He came in the house wet and ionically charged after having been struck by lightning. This electromagnetized his body. And when he entered the kitchen, he slipped on the peel, fell spread eagle on the table, and his magnetized body sucked the knife right into his back, instantly killing him. Boom. I oh, solved. Biblically true. <coughs> yeah. Well, Fuck Satan. Yeah. That's genius and all. Uh, one, it doesn't explain why he's tied to the table. And two, that's my banana peel. I dropped it there when I came in. Good point. Uh, probably a botched abortion then. Serves him right, the tosser. <laughs> Jesus Christ, are you fucking insane? Finally, now you're on the right track. Next week on CSI Kentucky. Pretty grisly murder-suicide scene in there. Where's the homicide detective? Here I am. Oh, fuck! Matt, what did you think? What did you think of CSI Kentucky? Oh my god, I am hooked. I can't wait for the next episode. I don't think you can give an opinion on CSI Kentucky because you weren't there. But but I listened to it. Were you there? I I thought I was there. Is listening to it being is it like being there? No, you're not an, you were an ear witness. I was like, oh, that's right. The only ones that are worth anything are eyewitnesses. That is correct. Ah, Matt, son of a bitch. I have a very important announcement to make today. Yay, make it. You're getting a vasectomy. Uh, wrong. That's about oh. ten, ten years too late to make that particular announcement. <laughs> Matt, irreligiosity has gotten uh, so many donations that we have compelled not to spend it on beer, but to purchase two tickets to the American Atheist Convention, which... By the way, it's happening in our backyard. Salt Lake City, Utah, 40th Annual National Convention, April 17th through the 20th. Matt, sit down. Make sure you're seated here. It goes from Thursday, April 17th, through the Sabbath on April 20th. (gasps) It actually goes through two Sabbaths if you include Seventh-day Adventists. (gasps) Sorry, I'm gasping. (sighs) So It's going to be in Utah? If you would like to come join us at the American Atheist Convention, we will be there. <laughs> be there. Will, will you be there? I'll be there. I'm a little frightened because every time I step out, the paparazzi just fucking take pictures of me like crazy. So I'm going to have to hire my own security, I think, and bring some pepper spray. Yeah, but, but the I only- will be there. The only picture you I found online is your shoes. Do you know those are my shoes? Were you there? I I wasn't there. But I've seen those shoes before. (laughs) I was there when those shoes were also there. Well, that counts then. So, on to the Bible study. By special request of Avedon S., we're going to resume our Bible study courses. Yay! This week, centering on... John. John's Gospel, the fourth Gospel, or as uh, Sarah Palin refers to it, the Maverick Gospel. The Maverick. Background to the Gospel of John. It is traditionally ascribed to John the Beloved, son of Zebedee, but this this, uh, ascription can't be found until the end of the second century. So it's floating around, like the other ones, anonymous for about a century or more. Uh, without any ascription. And then, because they're trying to fight and get authority for their particular Gospels that they like, they ascribe it to uh, various uh, apostles. You mean it's not even him? Well, uh, the name John doesn't even occur in the Gospel. (laughs) (laughs) 
so Christians will say this is because John was humble and he didn't uh, mention himself. Uh, oh. I would say that it's because he didn't fucking write the thing. <laughs> Uh, John, uh, unfortunately, is portrayed in the other sources as a lower-class peasant from Galilee who, therefore, probably spoke Aramaic and wasn't educated. As a matter of fact, Acts 4.13 explicitly calls John illiterate, along with Peter. So uh, it's pretty unlikely this man wrote a, a book in Greek. Peter. The gospel was probably created sometime around 90 to 100 of the Common Era, again, after the Birkat Hamanin, which is referenced in this gospel it's kind of retrojected into the time of jesus like like uh jews were going and, and throwing christians out of the synagogues during the time of jesus apparently and by a common era you mean bc chuck right i mean ad in the year of our lord i mean you mean ad right yes anno domini <laughs> what's what's why are you always trying what's with your war on jesus i'm trying to remove jesus from every aspect of my life Except for my curses. I'll always say Jesus Christ or God damn it. I will never stop doing that. And that because that is because it is a, a lack of respect toward Christianity. Uh, I'm violating the Ten Commandments, and I don't <laughs> give a d- good goddamn. I said B.C. I meant A.D. <laughs> yes. That's why I like Common Era. Yes. You don't get to screwed up. It's Common Era or before Common Era. Thank you for your... Insightful commentary on this podcast. Oh, oh, I've got more. (laughs) So we've done the synoptic Gospels. And remember, uh, in the synoptics, uh, at least two out of the three synoptics, Matthew and Luke, Jesus was born of a virgin, right? Uh, All three of the synoptics begin with Jesus' ministry. Um, He's baptized by John. He's then tempted uh, by the devil in the wilderness, right? There's three temptations. He comes out of the wilderness and proclaims the kingdom of God. He tells parables. He casts out demons. He's transfigured before Peter, James, and John. He institutes the Lord's Supper in uh, the uh, Passover feast. He oh, prays. yes. The painting. He prays in Gethsemane to have this cup removed from him. He appears in a trial before Jewish authorities who then hand him over to Pontius Pilate, right? Yeah, got it. That's the story. None of that happens in John. What? None of that shit in the synoptics can be found in John. Well, what the, what's John writing about? It's a maverick gospel. Oh, that's right. He's the maverick. He doesn't have a virgin birth. Uh, there are no temptations. Uh, he doesn't come out of the wilderness and proclaim the kingdom of God. He doesn't tell a single fucking parable. He doesn't exercise a single demon. There's no transfiguration. It's None almost of that shit like, happens. It's almost like somebody was writing their own version. Yeah. <laughs> but it's... You know, it, it does have some similarities, and we'll go into that a little bit. But uh, stuff that's in John, that, that can be found in John, that cannot be found in the synoptics, one of his most famous miracles, right, turning water into wine, that happens in chapter 2 at the wedding of Cana. And by the way, my parents taught me that was Jesus' wedding in Cana. <laughs> what? Who'd Jesus marry? Um, he had to be married, because we believe in polygamy, right? So he had to oh. be married. And so that itself was Jesus' wedding. And that's why the mother comes to Jesus and says, hey, we're running out of wine here, right? Oh, yeah. Because it's his own wedding, of course. Right. Now it makes sense. And that's why we have the Da Vinci Code. Uh, uh, so stuff that's in John, it's not in the synoptics. So turning water into wine, raising of Lazarus from the dead, that's not in the synoptics. 
Uh, remember that conversation with the, the Jewish rabbi Nicodemus, where he says, you must be born again, and Nicodemus says, I don't understand. How can I crawl back into my mother's womb and then get born again? That's crazy, Jesus. He says, no, you idiot, you must be born from above. <laughs> and so when all you hear all the Christians say, you got to be born again, hey, Christians, you're making the same fucking mistake Nicodemus makes. Uh, it's not born again, it's born from above. That term in Greek is the same. It's like onothane, I think. And so it's a play on words in Greek. But that also, that conversation could not possibly have happened in Hebrew or Aramaic. It's different words. There's no pun there. He could not possibly have misunderstood Jesus. All of Jesus's I am sayings, uh, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection and the life, before Abraham I was, I am. All that shit doesn't happen in uh, the synoptics. No, I am. Jesus dies on a different day in the synoptics than he does in John. Uh, so Jesus in John dies when the lambs are being executed uh, on the day of preparation for the Passover. It's explicitly listed in John as the day of preparation for the Passover. Um, and that's a day before the Passover. So so what happens is the, sh- the lambs get executed and Jesus was crucified in John at that point. In the synoptics, he survives and has the Passover meal, Right. Like three or four hours later, he's yeah. eating the fucking Passover meal. He he survives the next day, gets uh, arrested, and then was crucified at yeah, like at nine or twelve, I think, according to different synoptics. The the day of the Passover in John, it's the day in preparation for the Passover. So what does he want to have him die the same day as the lambs, as yeah. some sort of like symbolic? <laughs> right. Clearly, that's uh, Jesus is the Lamb of God in John. So. He has to be executed with the other innocent lambs. Ah, so theologic, ah. theologic point probably is being made in John. But for all those people who believe that the uh, Bible, and specifically the New Testament, is infallible, you cannot reconcile that. He is crucified the day of preparation for the Passover in John, and in the synoptics he survives that day and is not crucified until the next day, the day of Passover itself. So in the synoptics, Jesus cleanses the temple in the last week of his life, and that kind of makes sense, right? Because it's the inciting event that pisses off the Sadducees, and uh, they arrest him uh, for inciting riots during the, the Passover, which in itself is kind of a, a holiday that might incite a riot anyway, because it's uh, casting off slavery from Egypt, right? And uh, Jerusalem Party. today is uh, occupied territory. It's um, the province of Rome. So... Um, that makes sense. That that's kind of that that begins the episode that leads to his crucifixion. In John, though, this event takes place in chapter two at the beginning of the ministry. And so, what Christians will say is, "Well, it happened twice. <laughs> Jesus cleansed <laughs> the temple at the beginning and the end." Uh, but hey, when, just because he went twice doesn't mean he also didn't go once. <laughs> but the problem with that is that that is not found. They're making the the gospel of of their apologist right. The, be the the gospel of Chuck or the gospel of Kirk Hastings because the cleansing twice is not found in any of the four Gospels. That's just their idea. Mm-hmm. Also, the um, Jesus' ministry seems to last one year in the synoptics. We only have one Passover meal, and that's at the end of his life, right? Uh, in John, Jesus' ministry seems to last three years. We get three Passover meals in John, one in chapter 2, one in chapter 6, and one in chapter 19. Or at least it's mentioned in chapter 19, because they don't actually have the meal because Jesus is already dead. Uh, in the synoptics, Jesus' ministry is centered in Galilee, which is in the north of Palestine, like north of, of uh, Jerusalem uh, in Judea. Um, he only makes one trip to Jerusalem at the end of his ministry, and that's what leads to his death. In John, Jesus centers his ministry in Judea, 
in the southern part of Palestine. Uh, he only makes occasional trips to Galilee. <laughs> he only kind of zips back and forth occasionally. As, as I mentioned, uh, Jesus in the Synoptics has a bunch of exorcisms. I mean, you remember, we talked about this in every Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, the Gadarene demoniac, when he exorcises the, the bunch of demons out, right? The pigs! Uh, and, yeah. And throws them into the pigs. <laughs> but that exorcism, like casting out demons... Uh, this plays a large role in showing that Jesus is a special representative of God, right? And the kingdom of heaven is, is coming. It's near. In uh, John, there's not a single exorcism. And the kingdom of heaven is already here in John. It, it, the kingdom of heaven is Jesus coming in and, and uh, teaching to you. Um, in the synoptics, Jesus speaks in short aphorisms like, Don't hide your light under a bushel. Let your light shine from a hill. Don't throw your pearls before a swine, all that stuff. And, and he talks in parables. Yeah. So nobody would know. <laughs> right. He engages in these short, vivid arguments with the Pharisees called the controversies. In John, he engages in long controversies that extend themselves over multiple chapters. If you read this, nearly the entirety of chapters 5 through chapter 10, one long fucking controversy. The Jews are just sitting there arguing back and forth with Jesus. Um, he does. He speaks no parables. He compares things, you know, like, the kingdom of heaven is like this, but he doesn't uh, speak in parables like the prodigal son. Um, not a single parable in John. In, in the he synoptics, just, all he does is speak in parables. So in John, he just speaks in similes? Yeah, right. Not <laughs> metaphors, just similes. <laughs> um, again, Jesus sees God's kingdom in the synoptics is entirely in the future, right? The Son of Man will come riding on the clouds. Um, the day is coming. The, the judgment is at hand. The, the, king, the Son of Man will come in, in, in power. In uh, John, the kingdom of heaven is in the present. Jesus equates God's judgment and kingdom with himself uh, and his ministry uh, here and now, not in the future. Um, how people respond to Jesus in John, for example, is how they uh, will be responded to by God. If you reject Jesus, God will reject you. Quick question. Yeah. You keep saying synoptic. Yes. Let's just pretend for a second. I don't know what that means. So let me pretend for just a second that we've done three synoptic gospels, and you don't know what the fuck a synoptic gospel is. Does it mean the one that were found in jars? <laughs> the, that would be canopic gospel. Oh, that, was, that was the canopic gospel. Uh, synoptic gospels mean seen together. So um, as we've done uh, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, we've seen that they've got this common spine, right? Right. That we went over that, that he... He's baptized by John. He goes into the wilderness. He's tempted. He goes out. He has a ministry. Uh, he's crucified and, and dies. So all these events in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke can be seen together and actually read next to each other in parallel com uh, columns. So you can see these events, how they're uh, listed in Mark, and then how Matthew and Luke list them as well. You cannot do that with John. Not yeah. Yeah, I knew that. Thank <laughs> I just wanted to make sure everybody else did. Uh, that that was for the audience, not not for Matt's yeah. benefit. It's my role. I, I, um, the like empty tomb story in the synoptics is uh, a little confused, actually, right? But it, it consists of several women going to the tomb, sometimes finding the stone in place, sometimes finding it rolled away, sometimes getting there and seeing it rolled away by an angel, <laughs> depending <laughs> on what synoptic you're in. Um, in Mark, the women don't tell anyone. In Matthew, the women run back to tell the disciples, but they're interrupted by a re resurrected Jesus who instructs them to go to, to, to Galilee and meet him. In Luke, 
The women tell the disciples. Peter runs to the tomb, finds it empty, and wonders what happens, right? What the fuck? Um, later, Jesus appears to the disciples and, and has him touch him to prove that he's not a... Oh, that's right. So that's what happens in the synoptics. He said, in, fondle me. In John... Mary goes to the tomb alone by herself, so it's not the women, it's just Mary. Uh, she finds the stone already rolled away. Goes back and tells Peter. Peter and John have a fucking foot race to the tomb. <laughs> <laughs> they find that, that someone has, has uh, moved Jesus' body because all that's there is linens. So Jesus appears to the disciples multiple times. He's fucking, like, three or four times goes back, returns. And then in John, we get the doubting Thomas story, which is doubting t- the, the Thomas, the disciple, says that, I am not going to believe you guys that he's appeared uh, unless I see Jesus' wounds, right? And I poke my finger in there. And so uh, Jesus appears. He just kind of poofs into the room and has uh, Thomas poke his fingers in. And and then Doubting Thomas believes. And he says that, uh, you know, blessed are you uh, who believes, but you've seen it. Blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. That story of Doubting Thomas is not found in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Blessed are those who weren't there. Blessed are those who weren't there and still believe. Ah. They weren't there. They just assume. They just assume. (laughs) So that's kind of a breakdown of the differences between John and the synoptics. You know, um, I want to cover a couple things in a little more detail, starting with the messianic secret, right, and and miracles. Remember in Mark, when Jesus did shit, um, he would say, I'm, I'll do this miracle, but don't fucking tell anyone. Don't say a word, right? And specifically, when the Pharisees ask for a sign, he says no. So in, in Mark eight eleven through 12, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. <laughs> Did he just say, kids today? Oh, <laughs> God. This generation. This generation. In my day, nobody asked for signs. Matthew twelve thirty eight. <laughs> then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. <laughs> he oh. is. He's a cranky old man. <laughs> so by the way, all skeptics are wicked and adulterers. Right. So set it down. If someone asks for proof, they're wicked and adulterous. Uh, wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So he says, Nathan, you know, you'll get your fucking sign when I get crucified. And by the way, does that mean that Jesus really believed Jonah was literally swallowed by a whale, spent three days getting slowly digested in the belly of the sarlacc? And then was oh. expelled. He said fish. Oh. What, whales are mammals. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong again, Jesus. <laughs> nice Star Wars reference, Chuck. Remember okay. also in Luke, the third temptation is to jump off the top of the temple, right? Presumably in front of the Jewish worshippers who are milling about below. So the temptation isn't so so much to jump off the fucking table and land on the pavement. <laughs> Right. It's to prove that, that you are God's special representative because God would not allow his special representative to jump off the temple and, and get killed on the pavement. What would happen was Jesus would jump and angels would come and, and grab his feet and kind of float him down, right? So the temptation is to prove that he's the Messiah, to, to show the Jews a sign that he's a Messiah. And he overcomes that temptation and does not do it. 
So specifically in the synoptics, all three synoptics, he's refusing to do signs. He's refusing to give proof. In the synoptics, what happens is, is you show Jesus your faith, and then Jesus responds with miracles, right? Faith comes first. Ah. Miracles come second, and I believe was it in Mark where he, he? I think it was in Mark where he like shook the dust off his feet and said, "Fuck you, people! I am incapable of doing miracles here because you don't believe." I'm gonna say yes. That was Mark, and uh, I, I think Matthew and Luke corrected that to say that you know because of their little faith, he chose not to do them. Um, Is that when he went back to his hometown? <laughs> something like that. He wouldn't do anything for people he knew. And so in the synoptics. It's a response to faith, right? Miracles come because you believe. Not so in John. In John, Jesus' miracles are not called miracles. They are called signs. Without these signs, people won't be able to believe. So in John 4, starting at verse 46, Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. And so, the end of the story is in 53. Whoa, 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 whoa. What does he mean by you people? What's he saying there? Unless you people, it's everyone. Never mind. I was sorry, I was, I was making think he's a, being racist? I was making a racial joke. Unless, <laughs> continue. The end of the story is in verse 53. Then the father realized, so that the fever breaks, right? So the father realized this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. So what happened was the sign occurred, the miracle occurred, and then faith then they came did. because of it, right? So miracle first, sign first, faith is a result of that. So in, in John, Jesus is fucking doing miracles left and right, and people are believing in him because of those miracles. It's the exact opposite in the synoptics. So in John 20, 30-31, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So they wrote all these signs so that you might believe, Matt. Wait, what? <laughs> Did it happen or not? It's for you. Oh, I guess I believe now. You can see that maybe John's aware of the synoptics. Whoever wrote John is aware of the synoptics because that that little story there where this this guy says, you know, my son uh, is sick, please heal him. And he says it, and and he doesn't need to go there, right? That's very similar to the Roman soldier who came up to Jesus in the synoptics and says, you know, I have my slave here who's sick. I want you to come heal him. And Jesus says, okay, I'll come. Show me where he is. He says, you don't need to come. You just speak the word because I know as a centurion, I speak the word and it's done. So go ahead and speak the word, and, and it was done, right? And he says, oh, man, your faith is... I haven't seen faith like this in all of Judea. So that's very similar to this story in John, but it's not the same. And then Jesus freed that slave too, right? Yeah, Jesus said, <laughs> go your way, and, and you're free, because it's wrong to own other people. Yeah, that happened. That happened. <laughs> There's also a similar story in Mark about raising from the dead, right? The resurrection of, of the daughter of Jairus. And we can compare that to the raising of Lazarus in John. So this kind of illustrates the whole point about the importance of the messianic secret, right, in uh, the synoptics as opposed to in John. So these two stories are fairly similar, just kind of like what we talked about. In both accounts, 
a family member asks for Jesus to come help a sick person before it's too late. Jesus, uh, in both accounts, does not arrive in time. The person's already died. Onlookers mock Jesus in both accounts because he thinks he can help. Jesus, in both accounts, refers to the dead as sleeping. And in both accounts, he, he orders the dead to arise, and they do. And then he orders onlookers to care for their physical needs. So those, those parts of the story are the same in both accounts. So that's how he raised the dead. They were just sleeping. Never. He told them that. <laughs> they weren't really it's, dead. Hey, he's raised him. He's dead. My father's dead. No, he's just sleeping. No, he's dead. <laughs> Raise him from the dead. They're just asleep. All right. Hey, wake up. Wake. There you go. Done. It's a miracle. <laughs> a miracle. Meanwhile, Lazarus is like, what the fuck's going on? Got some coffee? So the difference is, in, in Mark's account, the, the the family approaches and Jesus goes directly to the daughter of Jairus, right? After he's summoned, my daughter's dying. Jesus zips on over, right? He privately enters the girl's room. He only takes the what? girl's parents and three of his disciples in with him, right? He's doing this in secret, in private. At once um, he resurrects the girl, he orders everyone in the room, he tells them strictly, do not tell anyone what you've seen. <laughs> this is a synoptic idea of Jesus, right? This is a messianic secret. Uh, in John, we have what is arguably the biggest dick move in the entire New Testament. John 11.3. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. So uh, you'd think, just like in the synoptics, he'd zip right over, right? Oh my God, someone needs me. No. No? But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So he's just waiting for him to die? He fucking chills out for two fucking days, and then starts the journey. Well, he's gotta die so that he can go and resurrect him, so he can look good? That's Is exactly that what he's doing? what he's doing. Oh, he's sick? <laughs> Let me just hang out for a couple more fucking days to make sure he's dead, and then I'll go. By the time I'm Jesus sure. actually gets there, Lazarus has begun to stink because he's been dead for four days. Well, maybe he wasn't sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Here we have Jesus intentionally hanging back, allowing Lazarus to die so that he can look better. Well, it's for God's glory. So when Jesus finally <laughs> arrives at the tomb, he's surrounded by crowds, right? Not in private, like uh, he resurrects the daughter of Jairus. He's surrounded by large amounts of people. He commands in front of everybody... Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus emerges from the tomb in front of the entire crowd of people. Does he tell anyone to shut the fuck up about it? No, because he does it specifically. And he he hung out specifically so that the dude could die, even though he loved him. The dude could die, go through all that fucking pain, and that publicly he could resurrect And stink. (laughs) That is, like I said, arguably the biggest dick move of the entire New Testament. Fuck you, Jesus. By the way, Matt, as an aside, yeah. uh-huh. uh, when word of the resurrection of Lazarus reached the chief priests and the Pharisees in John eleven forty seven, 47, uh, so the chief priests and Pharisees called a meeting of the council and said, what are we to do? This man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. You do not understand that it is better for you to have one man die uh, for the people than to have the whole nation destroyed. Now, does huh? that sound familiar to you as far as Mormon scriptures? Yes, because I've extensively studied Mormon scripture. 
Do you remember the part in First <laughs> Nephi when they they've already left Jerusalem and then they decide, oh shit, we got to get some scriptures. We got to get the plates of grass. Uh, plates? Did I just fucking say plates of, plates grass? of grass? That's from the Colorado Mormons. <laughs> oh. <laughs> We gotta get the plates of brass so that we'll have a record of our ancestors in the scriptures so that we can teach our children. And so Nephi goes back into Jerusalem um, and they you know go they ask for Laban. He says no. And finally the Lord delivers Laban into his hands by making him drunk and pass out in front of him. Right here's what this says. And it came to pass that the Spirit said unto me again, Slay him, for the Lord hath delivered him into thy hands. Behold, the Lord slayeth the wicked to bring forth his righteous purposes. It is better that one man should perish than that a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. Well, obviously it's similar because that's the same Jesus that came from that Jesus. He just, it's later on when he was in North America. So Joseph Smith swiped that saying, which is one of the most famous uh, in the Book of Mormon, by the way, um, directly from the fucking New Testament in John. It is better for you to have one man die for the people than to have the whole nation destroyed. It's just Jesus quoting Jesus, Chuck. He's it's quoting. <laughs> he's Jesus quote. Jesus taking the words of the high priest Caiaphas, who says, "Crucify fucking Jesus," and he goes, "Oh, that sounds good. I'll just tell Nephi that." <laughs> yes, I, I like that. I like that. What a said Jesus. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. You can I use that? I'm gonna use that. That's the biggest dick move in the Book of Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, parables, right? I mentioned that, that no parables are, are taught in uh, by Jesus in John. But in the synoptics, oh. Jesus teaches about the future kingdom of God in parables. This is kind of all he does. In, in, chapter, in Mark chapter 4, verse 10, we learn that this was the only way Jesus taught the crowds. The only way he taught them was in parables. So, Mark 4, verse 10, when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that, quote, they may, may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Yeah, you don't want that to happen. You do not want that to happen. That's rejected uh, out of hand in John. He does not teach in parables. He teaches plainly. He, he fucking comes out and says, you know, I am the light and the truth. I am the, the way. I am the bread of life. I am the, the, the resurrection and the life. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't uh, beat around the bush at all in John. He just fucking comes out and says it plainly. Uh, but in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he teaches exclusively in parables to the crowds. Because you don't want the crowds fucking repenting and shit. No, you don't want everybody showing up for... And heaven would heaven. not be an exclusive club anymore. No. Uh, apparently, whoever is writing this, though was a little bit more of a populist and wasn't and I think he didn't think anybody was getting it. He said to put it down straight. Uh, in the synoptics, you never find D Jesus teaching about his own divinity, right? The closest you get is when Jesus asks his disciples, "Who do you think that I am?" and Jesus says, "You're the Messiah," right? That's the closest you get in the synoptics. In uh, John, Jesus cannot shut the fuck up about himself. <laughs> From the beginning to the fucking end, he never fucking shuts up. I mean, listen to this shit. John 5.19, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. The Father loves the Son, and shows him all that he himself is doing. And he will show them greater works than these, so that you will be astonished. Indeed, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whomever he wishes. 
The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all might honor the Son, just as the, they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. So he just fucking... You know, those sentences kind of follow each other, but they don't really connect to each other. It's just about how awesome I am and how the Father loves me and the Father gave me all this power and all this shit. Well, I'm thinking after the first three Gospels, he was probably getting a little frustrated that people weren't understanding what he was trying to tell them. <laughs> so he just... Uh, <laughs> so he just fuck it. I'm rewinding it's, time and doing this over. Right. I Okay, I'm... Yes, I'm... Son of God, I am. It's me. I can do this. Watch this, he said. <laughs> the first time I came, it was a secret. No one fucking got any of it. No one got it. So I'm just going to spend my entire ministry, my entire three-year ministry, nonstop talking about myself. Now, that might have been his fault the first time he came because he was explicitly trying not to have them understand. <laughs> and then I guess he changed his mind yeah. who and he got have, in his TARDIS. Who could have seen a problem with that strategy? Just not getting it. Father, what am I to do? <laughs> so there he's, he's talking, talking, and talking, and talking about himself and about how awesome he is. But then a couple of verses later, we were talking just a few fucking verses later, we get this in verse 31. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies on my behalf, and I know that his testimony to me is true, right? So if he testifies about himself, his testimony is not true. But all he does in fucking John is testify about himself. Who's the other? Who's going to testify on his behalf? Just like anyone? The the father who has sent him. That's well, the other. isn't that also him? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> that still counts as testifying of himself. I think so. It, it, later in John 8, 14, uh, Jesus contradicts himself. He says, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, because I know where I have come from and where I am going. <laughs> Doesn't fucking make any sense. But you, Jesus. Do, you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is valid. <laughs> For it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. Oh, man. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is valid. I testify on my own behalf, and the Father who sent me testifies on my behalf. So that's two witnesses, man. <laughs> Uh, Jesus was his own apologist. <laughs> he has three witnesses because the Holy Ghost also testifies on his own. That's, that's but right. it's only one witness because they're one. So actually, that doesn't work. Even by the law, his testimony is not valid because there's only one testimony. So if he testifies about himself, it's not true, but it is also true. And he judges no one, but if he does judge, it is true. And he's the one, he's the only one who judges. But that's cool, right? And also his father. <laughs> you like how he just fucking rambles on? <laughs> Uh, you know, I'll testify, but it's not, but it's not true. But, but it is true. But because you know, if I do this and that, and, and you judge by human standards, and you know, it's just fucking rambling. It's not, I think it's not like this tight logical argument. He just fucking talks. I think Jesus got into the plates of grass. <laughs> That's why they couldn't find him. So they couldn't find him. Uh, listen to this one, man. <laughs> He's talking about. The, the when he when he feeds the five thousand and he declares he's the the bread of life. Ah, uh, yes. The Jews began to complain about him because he said, "I am the bread that came down from heaven." They were saying, "Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven?'" So you'd think Jesus would respond to that by explaining how, even though he was born by Joseph and Mary, that he could he could still come down to heaven, right? No. 
This is what you get from Jesus. Jesus answered them, Do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me uh, unless drawn by the Father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one... (laughs) It was from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for life is the world or is my flesh. Huh? Jesus fucking Christ. Answer the question, Jesus! He was a politician. You get the sense that, yeah, he really likes the sound of his own voice, and he just fucking blah, 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 blah. But doesn't answer the question. (laughs) Oh, he's great, though. He could just go on. And not that anyone's seen the father, unless he's seen the father. It's really not, it's not like a controversy, like in the Gospels, right, where Jesus answers them, like, oh, I showed you. He just fucking goes off on this irrelevant tangent until the Jews get bored and go away. <laughs> Maybe that's what he was doing. Speaking of the Jews, John's gospel is probably the most uh, anti-Semitic of them. Um, because you got your cast, right, where Jesus is the good guy he sent from heaven, who happens to be a Jew. He's got his disciples, who also happen to be a Jew. you got your believers. Um, but you got to have an enemy, for Jesus to act as a foil against, right? And who's that enemy in John? The Jews! Uh, the, oh, I was going to say Satan. The Jews. Not Satan? Well, oh. there's, well, they're one step removed in John from Satan. <laughs> ah. So the Jews are constantly seeking to kill Jesus for some reason. Uh, in John, people don't speak out in support of Jesus because they fear the Jews. Right. So in John 5, Jesus heals a paralytic by the well on the Sabbath. So there's this there's this well. Every once in a while, you'll see the water stir, and that means an angel is there. And so the first person who makes it to the well gets healed. Nice uh-huh. system, God. This paralytic can never get there because he's paralyzed. Good one. So G- Jesus heals him? I'm guessing this pisses off the Jews. It does anger the Jews. So the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. I love this, that the Jews are just hanging out. (laughs) All the fucking Jews are hanging out, and he tells the Jews. Uh, He tells them that Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews started persecuting Jesus because he was doing such things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is still working, and I also am working. For this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, thereby making himself equal to God. Maybe they were like a gang or something. The Jews. Like <laughs> It wasn't the Jews like the, the, the people. It was just a subset of the Jews, a gang. Right, the Jews. like hell's Satans. <laughs> <laughs> the verse that keeps coming up over and over again uh, to justify persecutions against the Jews throughout history is uh, starts in John 8.42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are an a- unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he was a liar and the father of lies. The Jews are the sons of Satan? Yes. <laughs> and, and the Jews responded to him, Jesus, you are a Jew too. <laughs> you're a Jew. <laughs> but you're a Jew? <laughs> and Jesus went, 
Oh! <laughs> no. Notice, I'm, notice, John also. Hold on, I didn't say that, did I? John also has Pilate do everything he can to avoid executing Jesus. Like it is pulling teeth to get Pilate to okay the crucifixion of this guy. Pilate was a humanitarian. He didn't believe in uh, capital punishment. He was really <laughs> careful about who he executed and who he didn't. Like they bring him fucking three times, and finally, uh, you know, they 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 say uh, free Barabbas instead of Jesus. And finally, Pilate's like, oh, God, fine, I will turn you over to the Jews, and you can kill him. And so in John, it's not actually Pilate who crucifies, is responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. It's the Jews. The Jews take him, they um, dress him up, and, and uh, put him on the fucking cross themselves, which they couldn't possibly do because they didn't have the power to do that. But So Mel Gibson was right all along. Again... Truth has, has no place in the Gospels. It doesn't matter what the truth is. It just matters the story they want to tell. Did you say tr- truth in the Gospels? Truth has <laughs> no place. There's an interesting thing where Pilate asks Jesus and John, what is truth? And then that ends a chapter and Jesus doesn't answer him. They just go on to something else. <laughs> that, that would make a great title for a book. What is truth? What is truth? A question well, so is John- so important, Jesus refuses yeah. to answer it. So John is fan fiction. It, I think. Yeah, pretty much. He's probably read the synoptics. He's probably familiar with the synoptics. Didn't like their portrayal of Jesus, that he was, you know, keeping himself a fucking secret. And uh, in John, it's pretty clear that Jesus is, you know, co-eternal with God. That, that's not in the synoptics at all. The virgin birth, right? They have a virgin birth, but there's no idea in the synoptics that he, he was pre-existent, that he had any sort of existence before the uh, virgin birth. Uh, in John, he always existed, and and everything that was created uh, was created through Jesus, and not one thing that was created uh, came not through Jesus, right? So totally different um, fan base, I suppose, in this community yeah. who's responsible for writing the Gospel of John. John, what an asshole! There's probably a version. I bet there's another version of the Gospels where Jesus like kicks everybody's ass and takes a dump on Pilate's seat. That's called the the Gospel According to Republicans. And he doesn't give any money to the poor, and uh, he kicks out a bunch of welfare leechers. Uh, (laughs) He writes the Constitution. (laughs) (laughs) The Gospel According to Pat Buchanan. And he founds America. That's it for the Gospels, Matt. The infallible four Gospels. I don't know why we had to have four of them if they're infallible. Yeah. Well, sometimes one is not enough. Yeah, well, you know, you've got the four winds and the four pillars of the earth, so really you couldn't have less than four Gospels or uh, more. Well, you had to take one Gospel and send it in each cardinal direction. (laughs) Take this, Jesus said, and run that way really fast. So I think what I'll do is um, turn irreligiosity into uh, Bible study completely. We will do nothing but Bible study at Irreligiosity. I want to do Ecclesiastics. Ecclesiastes? In order to do it, you have to pronounce it correctly first. Okay. (laughs) Ecclesiastes. Oh, well done. Ecclesiastes Chlamydia. Damn it. I can't say it. Well done. All right. Um, What are we going to do next time? I'll tell you what we're going to do. I got a list right here. I've been making a list, Chuck, and checking it twice. Just check the third time. Excellent. It will be one of the following. It will be either Buddhism, mm-hmm. 
voodoo, Baha'i, Baha'iism, Baha'i, or the cult of Mithras, which you already did. Right. So, so I will I've also been that thinking about doing presuppositional apologetics. Oh, that's right. Or, or, or Norse mythology or, for some reason. Norse mythology. We're going to do some mythology for some reason. Native American mythology. That's on the list. I'm going to put that on the list. That sounds great. All right. Wrap it up. <laughs> Pull it all together. Pat fucking Buchanan. Done. Awesome, 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 awesome